Welcome to Middle East PolicyCast, episode 73 for August 27, 2020. I'm Scott Rogers, online editor at the Washington Institute. Lebanese Hezbollah has been well known to Americans as a deadly terrorist group for nearly 40 years, but there has never been an accessible, all-in-one record of Hezbollah's global terrorist and criminal activity until now. Hezbollah expert Matthew Levitt this month unveiled a comprehensive new interactive map and timeline that illuminates the full range of Hezbollah's activities, from travel routes and aliases to larger themes related to the group's founding, development, and relationships with state sponsors. What the map does is it not only collects all this information, but because it presents it in such a user-friendly format, and there's so much information, you're able to see it in a different light. You're able to connect dots that you couldn't connect before. And so while I I might have written about that episode and another episode and even maybe connected them somewhat, by, by playing around with the map, I also have been able to see new trends. Matt will take us on a guided tour through this ambitious new interactive tool and share the important lessons that we can learn about Hezbollah's nature, its methods, and its objectives after this. This is Anna Borshevskaya, the Ira Weiner Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Institute is dedicated to advancing a balanced and realistic understanding of American interests in the Middle East and promoting the policies that secure them. Find all our research and analysis at WashingtonInstitute.org or follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute. I'm speaking today with Matthew Levitt the Fromer Wexler Fellow and Director of the Jeanette and Eli Reinhardt Program on Counterterrorism and Intelligence at the Washington Institute. Matt has served in counterterrorism intelligence in the FBI, the Treasury Department, and the State Department, and he worked on the staff of the 9-11 Commission. He is the author of the 2013 book, Hezbollah, The Global Footprint of Lebanon's Party of God, and he joins us today to talk about his latest project. Launched on August 3rd, it's an interactive map and timeline of Hezbollah's global terrorist activities, you can access the map yourself at WashingtonInstitute.org slash Hezbollah Interactive Map. That's Hezbollah Interactive Map, one word, spelled H-E-Z-B-O-L-L-A-H. Matt, welcome to Middle East PolicyCast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Hezbollah has many facets, many of which it publicizes broadly. It's political activity, religious programs, charity services... But you've said that the golden rule of Hezbollah's terrorist operations is the less you know, the better. How does this new interactive resource shed light on Lebanese Hezbollah's terrorist activities? So Hezbollah spends a lot of time and effort publicizing those activities it wants you to know about. Social activities, charitable activities, political activities, educational, environmental And it has a media arm with satellite television and websites and radio to publicize that information. But Hezbollah goes to at least uh, as much effort to hide its covert illicit violent activities. It was one of the Hezbollah handlers of a now convicted Hezbollah operative here in the United States uh, who used the term um, the golden rule, that the golden rule of Hezbollah's terrorist wing, the Islamic Jihad organization, is the less you know, the better. The purpose here in this interactive map is to collect together in one space, in a user-friendly interface, with multiple ways to search, navigate, and find information, as much of the open source unclassified or declassified, meaning once classified but now no longer, material about Hezbollah's international 
criminal, terrorist, illicit activities. As we speak, the interactive map and timeline has 925 distinct events or entries, and more are being added every week. Where does the data come from, and how can map users trust what they find there? So the data from this project comes from a very wide array of sources, and uh, we were only able to do this because this is a project that we've been pursuing over many years. The map leverages the research that I did for my book on Hezbollah. Uh, that was nine years worth of research, traveling the world, meeting with people, collecting documents, and leveraging the fact that I'm based out of Washington, D.C., to meet with people as they came to Washington and to do the same. Uh, and then after the book came out, I continued to engage in just these types of activities. For example, uh, meeting with the Cypriot police officers running the investigations into the two Hezbollah uh, cases there, meeting with the case officers in Bulgaria responsible for investigating the bombing in Burgas, Bulgaria there in 2012, uh, and trying to put all that material together uh, first for the book and now for this. Uh, and the reason people can uh, trust what they find is because they can verify what they find. Uh, we are inserting documents whenever and wherever possible for as many entries as possible. There are entries right now that do not have documents associated with them yet, and we're working to make sure that as many as possible do. Court documents, uh, think tank documents, government documents. And in those cases where material from my book is included, uh, but the underlying source material cannot be, either because it's from my author interviews, which I had to show people to make sure that they were actually you know, legitimate interviews when the book was published, or because a government uh, provided me documents and allowed me to cite to those documents and quote from those documents, on the condition that I not make the documents themselves public. And again, I've had to show those to people to make sure that they actually exist, of course. In those cases, what we've done with the generous permission of Georgetown University Press is we have included uh, PDF pages uh, from my book uh, so that people can see how it was described there and they can look at the uh, citations there and see what the source is. The answer to your question, in other words, is that we are trying to provide as much source information as possible. And one of the things that's really amazing about this tool is that it includes, for example, uh, the largest collection in any one spot of declassified U.S. government material, CIA, uh, some FBI material regarding Hezbollah. Uh, and we provide all those redacted documents, but we provide all those documents here for people to peruse, to print, to download for themselves. We want this to be a resource for researchers, for journalists, for government officials, for students alike. Well, speaking of the policy community, I know that you've been uh, offering some preview briefings of the interactive map and timeline to people in and out of uh, government. How do you expect the policy community to use this interactive map and timeline of Hezbollah terrorist activities? I had the opportunity as we were preparing for the launch to give advanced briefings to about 45 different uh, audiences, uh, some of them government uh, officials uh, in the U.S., uh, well beyond the U.S., uh, academic audiences, uh, etc. 
Uh, the idea for the map is for it to be useful to a broad array of audiences. We want this to be a resource for students. Uh, we would like this to be something that teachers can use in the classroom. Uh, Bruce Hoffman, uh, professor at Georgetown University, uh, reviewed the map and uh, made a public statement that he absolutely plans to use this uh, in his classroom. Uh, and there's lots of different ways to use it in the classroom. We want this to be a resource for journalists. And for example, in the wake of the horrific explosion uh, in Beirut this week, uh, several journalists have used the map for context, history, etc. But I think what might be most interesting is the way that uh, officials uh, can use the map. First of all, this is uh, the largest collection of its kind of unclassified information. And so for government officials who are often looking for information they can use publicly to support um, statements or actions that they are taking, but are uncomfortable declassifying intelligence for fear of putting uh, at risk sources and methods, this is a tremendous resource. Uh, there are uh, nearly a thousand entries in the map already. We're going to be adding more entries and more documents uh, all the time. We have a whole bunch of entries that are in process and editing right now. And that is going to provide people in government with a resource of unclassified uh, incidents, materials, documents that they can reference without having to dip into their classified uh, information to support their activities. But it's also there to be used in a variety of other ways. If you have someone who's being deployed, uh, for example, as a foreign service officer to a region and you're trying to pre present them with a package of information relating to what's happening in that area, that might be economic information, that might be you know bilateral relationships, uh, that might be uh, national security issues. One of them might be what's the nature of the terrorist threat or terrorist activity in that area. And this map would be a useful tool insofar as they're looking specifically at Hezbollah in that area. And finally, as uh, the US and other governments are trying to work with partner nations to develop a more robust response to Hezbollah's criminal activity and terrorist activity around the world, this is a useful tool to be able to point people to, to say, look, this is what's happening in your neighborhood, in your country, in parts of the world uh, where you have national security interests. And having that information in an unclassified format, in a user-friendly format, in a free format, uh, is really going to be, I hope, uh, tremendously useful for people. I know that my first reaction on loading the map in a browser window is that it, it just visually tells a very powerful story about the breadth of Hezbollah's terrorist and criminal operations across both time and geography. One thing that helps show that are the lines that connect entries with the multiple locations across the globe where particular individuals or plots touch down. Can you walk us through a couple of examples? Um, let's start with Ali Karani. Sure. So Ali Karani is a convicted Hezbollah operative uh, now in jail in the United States uh, who uh, stood trial in New York City. Uh, Karani did surveillance uh, at the airport at uh, Kennedy Airport in New York and Pearson International in Toronto. He did surveillance of FBI, Secret Service, U.S. military and other sites uh, in New York City. Pre-operational surveillance that Hezbollah tends to like to have available off the shelf in the event that they want to be able to carry out some type of operation. And when asked 
why he thought he was being uh, tasked to carry out these activities. He explained to the FBI uh, that it all kind of started in 2008 when the head uh, and founder of Hezbollah's terrorist wing, the Islamic Jihad organization, Imad Mugnia, was killed in Damascus in February 2008. And Hezbollah, he explained, was desperate to have the ability to retaliate. Uh, Karani did a variety of other things, too. He was tasked with finding people in the criminal underworld through whom he could get small arms to find storage facilities where he could store these arms to become a U.S. citizen, which he did, to get a U.S. passport, which he did, and then to travel, for example, to Guangzhou, China, right outside Hong Kong, where uh, one of the largest factories in the world that produces um, uh, disposable ice packs is located. These are the types of eye packs that if your son or daughter sprains their ankle at soccer practice, you take it out, you uh, punch the plastic, break the membrane, the two chemicals mix, and it becomes very cold for about 20, 30 minutes. As it happens, part of the chemicals there are ammonium nitrate. And if you can collect enough of these, you can build some pretty sophisticated explosives. And Karani was dispatched to Guangzhou to negotiate a bulk discount purchase of said ice packs on behalf of Hezbollah. There's no evidence that the company knew this, but it does show the global reach of Hezbollah operations in New York, in Canada, and even its kind of business uh, illicit uh, efforts to procure what you might describe as dual use items. This is a, it's not illegal to buy these ice packs. It's just illegal to do so in such large quantities for the purpose of making explosives. Uh, and in this case, if it took getting someone to become an American citizen, to have a U.S. passport with which it is easier to travel and to have that person travel to China and negotiate this deal, which, by the way, it's not clear it went through, uh, then that's how Hezbollah operates. So I grew up in Minnesota. So, of course, the first place I clicked on on the map was an entry in Minneapolis. And the entry that opened up there was connected with a startling web of anchors that pointed to Johannesburg, Beirut, the UAE, Berlin, even Japan. Walk us through the case of Usama and Isam Hamate. This is a really interesting case. Two brothers who ultimately were extradited to the United States and pled guilty before uh, going to trial. Uh, these are two brothers, um, Lebanese brothers, who were living in South Africa. Uh, at the request of U.S. law enforcement, South African authorities uh, arrested them. Um, and in two 2019, they were extradited to the United States to stand trial in uh, Minnesota federal court for conspiracy to violate U.S. export laws by acquiring uh, drone technology for Hezbollah. And the reason they were uh, being tried in Minnesota is because that's where the U.S. company through which they were trying to acquire some of these components was located, but there were other companies around the world that they were trying to uh, acquire material from as well. And those were in Europe, uh, in the Gulf, uh, even as far away as Japan. That doesn't mean that what was going on, for example, in Japan was a Hezbollah cell, but it means that Hezbollah operatives were engaged in some type of activity in Japan, in this case, trying to acquire components for UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles or, or, or drones. Uh, a third defendant, a British-Lebanese uh, dual national, Samir Ahmed Barrow, remains at large. And the two brothers uh, pled guilty, one, one in March of this year and one in May, and have been sentenced to uh, various uh, prison lengths. Um, but it's interesting that, you know, as they look at their 
interest in drones to be used primarily in Syria and over the skies of Israel and southern Lebanon, and they're looking to acquire sophisticated technologies. We're talking about piston engines, video recording binoculars, uh, inertial measurement units, digital compasses, and then to export them to Hezbollah, they do not limit their perspective to you know the immediate Middle East. They're looking around the world. They are sending people around the world to serve as procurement agents. Uh, we've had cases like this in Europe. We've had cases like this in the United States. This one involved two brothers who were based out of South Africa, but their procurement activities really spanned the globe. And being able to draw lines between their base of operations in South Africa and the various places where this was happening around the world on a map really lets you eyeball uh, in a very kind of tangible way the uh, global reach of this particular uh, incident. Another thing that, that these, uh, as, as you call them in, in the map documentation, the spider lines uh, speak of to me is just how enmeshed the terrorist activities are with with criminal activities, not not just, you know, procuring bad things to do bad stuff, but active involvement in criminal enterprises for fundraising purposes, for financial transfer purposes. What what can you tell us about the the degree to which uh, Hezbollah's terrorist activities are enmeshed in just general criminality across the globe? So there's a tremendous overlap in the Venn diagram here. It's not to say that every Hezbollah operative who is involved in their terrorist activity or is a member of their militia deployed to Syria or somewhere in Lebanon is involved in criminal activity, but that the organization overall is deeply, deeply involved in criminal activity and has been for many, many years. So we're talking, for example, about production of counterfeit Captagon pills uh, in Syria and Lebanon. We're talking about not producing hard narcotics in South America, but being there on the ground and helping with the shipment of those narcotics, the security for the shipment, the uh, distribution in Africa and then up into Europe, and then most importantly, the laundering of the proceeds of that narco trafficking. And Hezbollah has gotten deeper and deeper uh, into this business as uh, over the past few years, uh, Iran has been saddled with sanctions, there have been periodic drops in the price of oil. Um, those things happened in 2009. They're happening again today. Today, of course, you also have the financial impact of the coronavirus, the cost to Iran of uh, maintaining its own fighters, other Shia militias, and of course, Hezbollah fighters in Syria. And Hezbollah has been trying to diversify its financial portfolio uh, and its income sources, still getting the vast majority of its funds from Iran. The U.S. government estimates between $700 and $800 million a year. That's probably a little less than that right now because of the financial uh, restraints uh, that Iran is facing right now. And that's why Hezbollah has gotten more and more involved in criminal uh, conspiracies. Uh, the most recent Europol report released just a few weeks ago specifically mentions uh, that they see Hezbollah engaged in narco-trafficking and money laundering operations uh, in Europe. And of course, there was the conviction in a French court of Mohammed Nuruddin and other Hezbollah operatives, some, and just Lebanese criminals, some, 
involved in uh, narco trafficking and money laundering in support of Hezbollah. Getting back to the map, uh, one feature that it has is, is a, uh, a search uh, box in which uh, users can enter names of individuals, of groups, um, of, of different kinds of activities, and they'll they'll see sometimes long lists of, uh, of of entries of individual events or charges or counterterrorism actions. And because because you're based in Washington D.C., I'd I'd love to hear you. Walk us through the story of Alexei Saab, uh, whose story plays out on the streets of the capital, but it intersects with terrorist plots as far away as New York City, Boston, Lebanon, even Istanbul. So who is Alexei Saab and and what does his tale of uh, terrorist activities tell us about Hezbollah and its networks? So Alexei Saab is an ongoing case. He's been indicted, but he has neither pled guilty nor stood trial yet. So this is just what he has been charged with. But the U.S. government has made public a significant amount of information about his activities. In September of 2019, Saab is charged for offenses related to his support for Hezbollah and separately a marriage fraud uh, offense. He is accused of being a member of Hezbollah's uh, external operations unit, uh, the Islamic Jihad Organization. And he's accused of conducting surveillance of several New York City landmarks, including the United Nations headquarters, the Statue of Liberty, Rockefeller Center, Times Square, Wall Street, the New York Stock Exchange, the Empire State Building, as well as local airports, tunnels, and bridges. In fact, he prepares a short report, according to investigators, with an annotated hand-drawn map of New York City, accompanied by summaries and photographs uh, of each site. And they've publicized those pictures, and we've been able to put those in the map along with the indictments, et cetera, as an example of the type of documentation we're able to include. According to Saab, he focused on the material composition and structural weaknesses of these targets in an effort to help Hezbollah maximize damage in a potential future attack. But it wasn't just activities uh, in Washington, D.C., I should note. Uh, Saab reportedly conducted surveillance of and photographed, took photographs of several Boston landmarks such as Quincy Market, the Prudential Center, Fenway Park, uh, and, uh, uh, and other places uh, around the United States uh, as well. I should note here, by the way, that what's one of the neat things about the map is that you could find out about this entry or any other entry by searching in several different ways. So as you mentioned, one way is to put information into the search box. If you were aware of Alexei Saab, you could put in his name. If you were curious about activities in a certain place, you could type in that location. You could type in a date, uh, et cetera. And that search box, though it doesn't look like much, uh, is pretty cool for two reasons. One, it's searching the entire and uh, list of entries in the entire product, not just locations and titles. And the other reason is that we've built a, a, a name dictionary. So if you don't know how to spell Alexei Saab, but you come up with some reasonable way of doing that, uh, you should still get a hit. You don't need to know how a particular individual named Muhammad spells their name in English. Uh, different court documents will spell things differently. You'll, you'll get a hit either way. But that's only one of, of four ways to search the map. You could also just navigate uh, the globe, uh, scrolling in and out, dragging the map, uh, and zooming in on any particular location and clicking on an icon at that location and you will get a drop-down menu of all the events associated with that location. 
in reverse chronological order. You can navigate the chronology bar at the bottom of the page. Across the bottom of the page, there's a chronology bar. And you can click on any incident uh, kind of above the chronology bar. There's a line for each incident. And below the chronology bar, you can click on any year. And again, get a drop-down menu of all the incidents in the map that occur in that year. And finally, and most interesting to me, it took the most time to do, is we've coded all the entries, primary coding, secondary, tertiary, et cetera, coding. And the three main baskets uh, of categories are plots and attacks, uh, logistics and finance, and counterterrorism actions that have been taken to address as well as activities. You can click on any of those three baskets and get a drop-down menu of all the entries coded into that basket. And of course, each of those has subcategories. So if you're only interested in looking up or seeing where the Hezbollah assassinations took place or Hezbollah hijackings or Hezbollah bombings or Hezbollah foiled attacks, um, Hezbollah's use of fake ID, Hezbollah finance plots, you can search uh, the categories and get drop-down menus of all those incidents as well. So we're trying to make this tremendous amount of information as accessible to the user uh, in as easy a way as possible. One of the defining popular myths about Hezbollah is that, sure, it runs a terrorist arm, but it also has political and charity operations independent of the violent wing. How can this tool, this map, help dispel this popular but false impression? So the first thing to note is that it's what, the only thing that's false about it is that these are independent wings. It is a fact that Hezbollah engages in this very, very broad range of activity, some of which is completely overt and some of which is completely covert. Um, the issue is that they are completely intertwined. Hezbollah officials are very clear about this themselves. Hmm. But the way this map can help dispel the myth that there are somehow disparate wings and a good side to Hezbollah and a bad side to Hezbollah is simply uh, by looking at some of the entries. So we have entries about Hezbollah political, overt political leaders who are involved in militant activities, in arms procurement, etc. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Mohammed Hassan Rad, who's one of the most senior Hezbollah parliamentarians uh, serving in the Lebanese parliament. Uh, he's designated by the U.S. Treasury. Among other things, uh, he meets with uh, Ad Hussein Tabaja, who's the... Uh, head of the most important Hezbollah illicit finance arms procurement network there is. And it's important because this network is not there to finance the overt side, the medical clinics, the uh, orphanages, the environmental groups. It's there specifically to support the terrorist and military wing of Hezbollah. And the two of them also meet with Hussein Ali Faour, who is a member of the Islamic Jihad organization, uh, the expressly non-political uh, terrorist wing. And they're meeting to make sure uh, that uh, despite Hezbollah designations, um, Hezbollah financiers like Adam Tabaja uh, are going to be able to still access uh, the group's funding mechanisms uh, and that these will remain open despite sanctions. But it's more than that. Uh, Mohammed Hassan Raad uh, worked with uh, Wafik Safa, the head security official uh, for Hezbollah, specifically to identify Hezbollah members who could be sent abroad to seek foreign citizenship, that is to become dual citizens of Lebanon and some foreign country, 
for the purpose of being able to travel abroad on that non-Lebanese travel document for future operations. So you have a Hezbollah political leader partnering with Hezbollah security leaders to identify people who could obtain foreign citizenship for the purpose of engaging in operations abroad. Or consider, for example, another Hezbollah parliamentarian, Amin al-Sheri, who literally went and threatened not only bank officials, but the family members of Lebanese bank officials, trying to pressure them mafia style into uh, continuing to provide financial services for Hezbollah uh, within the Lebanese financial system, despite uh, sanctions against these activities, against these Hezbollah operatives, and despite the very serious financial implications to the Lebanese financial system of continuing to provide these financial services despite sanctions. And there's many, many more examples like that. Matt, you've been studying Hezbollah very closely for many years now, and 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 much of the material in the map comes directly from the research you've been doing personally. But as you've been creating the map, building it out, and now looking at it and, and using it, are you seeing anything new or different or any trends that are that are surprising to you about Hezbollah's terrorist activity around the world? You know, I have, and it shouldn't surprise because what the map does is it not only collects all this information, but because it presents it in such a user-friendly format, and there's so much information, you're able to see it in a different light. You're able to connect dots that you couldn't connect before. And so while I, I might have written about that episode and another episode and even maybe connected them somewhat, by by playing around with the map, I also have been able to see new trends. I'll give you just one example. We mentioned before the case of Adam Hussein Tabaja, who was partnering with uh, Hezbollah parliamentarians to make sure Hezbollah still had access to banks. Tabaja is the head of this massive uh, criminal enterprise engaged in narco trafficking, uh, money laundering, and a long list of other criminal activities specifically to support Hezbollah's military and terrorist operations. And as I was looking at this network, and not everybody in the network is connected to everybody else, but as you start mapping it out and you start following these names and seeing who's connected to whom, one thing popped out at me that I really hadn't noticed before, which is that in recent years, uh, two of the most significant touch points for this network uh, are Belgium and France. Now, Hezbollah is active in lots of different places around the world, including the United States. And I don't mean to single out Belgium and France. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the French uh, uh, convicted uh, some Hezbollah operatives of some of these activities in a very prominent trial to their credit. But it does mean that there are ways to look at information we've known about for a while, and by using a tool like the map, begin to learn new things, even about cases that we've known about for some time. We've been speaking today with Matthew Levitt, Fromer Wexler Fellow and Director of the Reinhard Program on Counterterrorism and Intelligence at the Washington Institute. You can find his new interactive map and timeline of Hezbollah's global terrorist activity at washingtoninstitute.org slash Hezbollah Interactive Map. That's Hezbollah Interactive Map, one word spelled H-E-Z-B-O-L-L-A-H. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Levitt underscore Matt. That's L-E-V-I-T-T. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me.
This has been Middle East PolicyCast from the Washington Institute. Production assistance this week from Corey Francis. For more research and analysis on the Middle East, find us online at WashingtonInstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute and subscribe to us on YouTube at Washington Institute for events and video explainers. Please like and rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to it to help others find Middle East PolicyCast. Thank you.